Good morning, friends. Good morning, Lou. Good morning. Am... How are we doing today, doctor? Good, good. So um, we are going to talk about something very different today. The title, it still says the Gita, Memoirs of a Psychiatrist. Get that title up there for you. Here we go. But uh, it should say Gita Field Trip, Krishna, Jesus, the Gnostic Gospel. So friends, this is a little different from what we are used to talking about usually. And I think we have uh, Lou to thank for this. Last time in our last episode, we talked about how um, um, Skand, who is Shiva and Parvati's son, yeah. uh, went to Scandinavia. And if you haven't listened to that episode, either listen to the one before this or the one after this, because I'm going to be talking more at uh, length about that. But what Lou said was that he found that quite interesting. I had, so, no idea, I had no idea of the influence on um, India and this culture on uh, Europe, especially Northern Europe and Scandinavia. I had no idea. So, uh, yeah, I did find it fascinating because I, I had no inkling that there was that type of influence up there. So, friends, I thought that this would probably not only for my friend, Lou, <laughs> and Lou has become quite close to me since all these episodes. I've gotten very fond of him and for his sake. But also I figured that there were probably lots more people who wanted to know this. And for those people, I would probably give you another area of interest of mine, which is the spread of the culture out of India into other parts. So I have many, many, I have many years in my life and I've been filling them with these kind of interesting things. So I'm, I have lots of these on my plate and I love to share them. So today, without further ado, what we're going to be talking about shortly is Krishna and Jesus and the similarities. So I want to show you this book. It says 346 striking analogies between Christ and Krishna wow. written by Kersey and Graves. Kersey mm -hmm. Graves, um, who was an American who wrote this book, I think, uh, maybe 100 years ago. Um, of course, he was really uh, spoken badly about in the American press by yeah. all of the uh, Christians who didn't want to hear any of this. And I'm not saying this to uh, denigrate anything. I'm just telling you facts as they are for you because, like me, I'm hoping that you find it interesting. Uh, not for any other purpose, but to say, look at the similarities between Krishna and Christ. Look at the similarities between Christianity and Hinduism. So let's talk about the birth of Christ. Krishna, when he was to be born, his mother was, um, her name was Devaki. Devaki and her his father, his natural father was named Vasudeva. Just like Jesus Christ, Krishna had natural parents and then adoptive parents. So Devaki was the uh, sister of the, uh, a king, a king who was very powerful, but at the same time, very afraid of his position being usurped by somebody else. Devaki's brother, the king, was evil, and his name was Kamsa, K-A-M-S-A, Kamsa. Kamsa is the way it's spelled, but it's pronounced Kamsa. So during the wedding of Devaki and Vasudeva, Kamsa's sister and future brother-in-law, an astrologer, a famous person, like a Maggi, is that what you say, Lou? Maggi, Magi? Uh, a famous person? No. Per, uh, the, who came to see Jesus? Was it the oh, three? Yeah. 
I think it's I think it's a soft G, Magi, but I'm not sure. Magi, 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 whatever. Yeah. So somebody like that went up to uh, the evil king Kausa and said, "Listen, Devki and Vasudeva are going to have children, and the eighth child is going to be the death of you. He's going to kill you." No. Oh. And you know, Devki's brother Kausa absolutely believed in this, and he said to his guards. Uh, arrest Devki and her husband and put them in jail, imprison them. Uh, but jail was not like we know it, like with bars and stuff. They could ha actually have an apartment there, a, a bed and home yeah. like that. So each time Devki gave birth to a child, Kausa said, okay, you had a child, now the child will be killed. And I think he did it by having the guards bash the child on the head on the floor, a horrible yeah. way. Mm. Um, but I think this is the, and the only reason I say that is because I heard something about King Herod doing the same with Jesus's parents. I'm not sure exactly of those details, but the book uh, talks about it. Mm -hmm. um, uh, you've heard of King Herod, right? Yes. Luke? So yeah. King Herod was also told by an astrologer that his, um, that there was going to be a child born and no, actually, sorry. The Magi, Maggie, came to the palace and said, we want to know, we followed these stars, that an infant was born somewhere, and he is going to be the future, future um, uh, savior of this yeah. world. Mm -hmm. And another astrologer told him, this future savior is going to be the death of you, my king. And King Herod said immediately, where is that child? And this Maggie said, it was born yesterday, and we don't know where, but it's under these bright stars. And immediately Herod sent out people to say, find him and kill him, mm. who was then Jesus. And when Jesus's parents heard about this, they quickly gave the child to somebody else and as foster parents. And then he was in a manger in a farm. And of course, the guards didn't. Are you there? Yes. Yeah. Can you see me? Yeah. Okay, there we are. Um, so similarly, six of these children of Devaki and Vasudeva were killed. The seventh one was Krishna's older brother, Balaram. They let him survive because he wasn't the eighth one or somehow magic. No, sorry. He was exchanged with another, uh, with Devaki's sister. And he was then brought up in Devaki's uh, sister's womb and he survived. Krishna, when he was born, all the stars lit up. There was massive, it was dark, and lights went on all over the sky. But miraculously, the guards around uh, Vasudev's and Devaki's uh, jail went into a deep coma, and the doors sprung open. Devaki and Vasudev left with their infant child, crossed a river similar to Christ, went to this farm and gave the child to Nanda, uh, and a foster father and foster mother. And, and that's where Krishna was then uh, brought up, not by Devki and Vasudev. So Krishna and Christ had that in similarity. Then um, a couple, there's lots of other things. Go, Krishna was the protector of cows, and therefore he was called a Gopala. Go is for the uh, Sanskrit word for cow, gao cow, yep. protector of cows. And he also had a consort known as Radha. So a consort is like a wife, a girlfriend, a 
constant companion. So his consort was named Radha. Mm-hmm. And he also had apparently 16 other wives, uh, Krishna did. And that's mm-hmm. symbolic. It means that people who really devote their lives to Krishna are considered were considered his wife. Why this is important is also, so so that's about Krishna and Jesus. And there's a lot of other similarities. If you're interested, friends, look up this book by Kersey, K-E-R-S-E-Y, Graves. And he talks about 346 striking analogies between Christ and Krishna. But if you also, while you're looking this up, you may want to see that Krishna and Christ both had a father who was a carpenter, both had an adopted father who was on earth, both were of royal descent because uh, Krishna's mother was the sister of the king. The incumbent ruler, both Kausa as well as uh, King Herod, was out to kill infants and actually had an infantile massacre around that time. And there was a bloody decree by the king in each case for the destruction of these infants. The parents flee in both cases. Um, Krishna was born in Mathura. Mathura, India. Mm-hmm. And Jesus was born in Muturia, M-U-T-U-R-E-A. No, both India. were fosters. Both fasted. Both were actually, um, Jesus was the um, king or, or head of uh, the uh, Yadu tribe. And he could fast for 40 days. Anybody to become the chief of this tribe, tribe had to be fasting for 40 days. Both performed miracles. And the first miracle of both was the cure of a leper. Hmm. Now, I found this extremely fascinating. I found this very, very fascinating to say, look at these similarities. Even the name, Christ and Krishna, both sound similar. What does it mean? I don't know. I don't know what that means, why those similarities mean. But there's other things that that you, my friends, Lou, you might find very, very interesting. In many of these countries that the soldiers after the Mahabharata war finished, left and went to, Krishna, Radha became the uh, idols to pray to. So after the Mahabharata war, there was an earthquake and the Saraswati River, which fed water to all of the lands around there, went underground. So um, at this point, the earthquake, there was major tectonic uh, plate shifts, and uh, this was the beginning of the Kali Yuga, and there's reasons why these tectonic plates uh, shifted. You know, write to me and I'll explain uh, some of that to you, why that happened uh, because of the planetary influences. The Saraswati River went underground, the place became like a desert, there was no food to eat, and there was a mass migration of thousands and thousands of people out of that area. Now, many of them went westward. They went towards um, uh, uh, the Middle East. Some went towards Germany, Switzerland, and some went towards Greece. Now, we can talk about each one of these countries and the founding of those countries. But when they went to Greece, obviously, there was nobody there at that time. There were no inhabitants. They set it up, and their initial uh, prayers were towards um, Krishna. And Radha, Krishna and Radha were the Krishna. If you go to many Indian temples or homes, you'll see that there's an idol of Krishna. And Krishna is, you know, depicted as with a flute. 
and he's got either a cow around his shoulders, a small little calf, or he's protecting cows next to him. He's got this flute, and uh, Radha is next to him. Now, in Greece, those earlier things represent uh, the, the Krishna is called Kuros. Most of the names that I've seen in Greece, even though they might originally be from in Sanskrit or from India, the Greeks added OS or IS at the end. Right. So Kuros became the name for Krishna. And Radha's name was Rhodos. Radha was Rhodos. Krishna was Koros. And if you look at the photographs, uh, I have them on my website if somebody wants to see them. You'll see that Krishna and Radha in India and Greece are almost identical with flutes and uh, uh, cows. Um, so that's part of that. And then we can talk about other names that are very, very similar to uh, India and Krishna and Mahabharata and Gita, Arjuna, all of that. That's very, very fascinating. Can I just ask you that the Please. point this earthquake happened and changed the climate in that area so dramatically with submerging the river. Uh, what time frame is this? How many years, say, before Christ are we talking? 3,101. Holy cow. Okay. Yep. Yeah. That's to know. So, yeah, there, and, and that is very scientifically proven because the Gita, the Mahabharata, everything has exact things that happen planetary-wise. Uh, throughout the scriptures, th there is mention of which planet, Saturn, Venus, Mars, you know, which planet is where, right. where there is a uh, um, eclipse, where, you know, different things happen, or when the Saraswati is flowing, when the Saraswati is not flowing. So by use of those things, with the use of planetary software, today scientists are able to exactly pinpoint what happened. Now, 3,101, what they found is that uh, all the planets were in a straight line. Um, wow. yeah. yeah. In, in reality, yeah, this is not just mythical. And that caused certain changes within the Earth's gravitational force that caused earthquakes and floods and different things. So that had been predicted many thousands of years before that. And they said that this is the time that the evil period of India, of, of the world is going to come about. And mm -hmm. that is known as the Kali Yuga. The Kali Yuga starts at 3,101. And of course, uh, mythic, mythologically, it said because that was the end of the Mahabharata war, uh, Krishna was killed uh, around that time at the time of the Kali Yuga began. And therefore, since the savior died, the evil period began. So right. um, whatever it was, the actual period of Kali Yuga began 3,101 and the tectonic plates shifted. There was no water, these people moved. So uh, we'll talk about Greece, Switzerland, Germany, uh, some other time. Right. We'll talk about Scandinavia and uh, uh, Norway uh, and Finland. Sorry, Norway and Sweden uh, in our next episode. But let me, if I have time, how much time have we done so far, uh, Lou? We've, we've got time. Go ahead. This is okay. Yeah. So another thing that happened in 1945 so bear with me here. A lot of people will find this very, very, very interesting. Do you know about the Gnostic Gospels, Lou? No. Oh, no I, 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 I asked you on this. Before the show, yeah. I'm, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I've you. heard the term, but I don't know the meaning of it. Okay. For those of you who don't know this, you'll probably find it extremely fascinating. Because what it shows, and I'm giving you a little bit of a teaser here, what it shows is that 
before when Jesus Christ was alive, he actually promoted something very similar to what Krishna promoted and what uh, what we've been talking about in the Gita. Essentially, what Jesus said is that he, in order to reach God, you have to look inside and find the sacred spark within yourself. Mm -hmm. This is a view that by that time there were no, don't forget, there were no churches, right? Uh, there were no mosques, and there were no priests or bishops or cardinals, right? Jesus said, do look within yourself. But we did now, today's church says, you got to go to church, you have to give money, you have right. to talk to the priest, and in order to get salvation, the priest or the church have to be the uh, people to facilitate that. Right. I'm not knocking anything. I'm just telling you the difference between then and now. How did that change? That's the interesting part. In 1945, sorry, before that, after Jesus died in the year, let's say, zero, mm -hmm. um, about 300 years after that, was born a man who was later to be known as Bishop, Athanasius. And the way I used to remember this name is that it came from Athens, Greece, because okay. he was he was actually uh, he was Egyptian. But uh, some of his family may have been originally from Greece, but he was Egyptian. And in 300 AD, he was born 300 years after Jesus Christ. Don't forget. And he was one day playing by the ocean with his friends and he was pretending to be uh, a, a priest in the church and pretending to Christ, uh, what is it called, when they christen somebody? Yes, christen, yes. Christening. Baptized. Baptized. Yeah. Yep. So this bishop, Bishop Cardinale, was watching them play, the kids, and he saw Athanasius pretending to be a priest, christening somebody, and he called him to his uh, home, and he said, look, I see in you that you want to be a priest. And I want to make you a priest. And you can, and that's how Athanasius became a priest. Hmm. He got personal training from the then bishop. But when he was 35 years old, he had done a lot of things that the Pope at that time, there was a Pope by that time, there was a church in Rome, and the Roman uh, emperor was all powerful. Mm -hmm. And they banished Athanasius because they felt that he was mistreating some minorities and he was guilty of discrimination. Now, if you go to uh, the computers and look through various books, as I have, you will see that he was exiled from his country and from the church six times. And only when he was maybe 66 years old was he allowed back because he continually uh, pushed to get back into church. Now, this right. is fascinating because yeah. what he what he did not want, he did not want the original teachings of Christ and the people that followed him to continue. So at 66, after being exiled six times from the church and from the country, he made a deal with the Roman emperor. And in 66, he became a bishop and he became Bishop Athanasius. In 367, after uh, Christ, the year 367, he wrote a letter, and it's called the 39th Festal, F-E-S-T-A-L, Festal letter that he wrote. And what he said was, anything that was written by Jesus or his followers, Joseph, Matthew, right. um, Judas, all of that is uh, heresy, 
and should be burned. Hmm. Fascinating, wow. right? That's he a says, bold take. <laughs> bold take. He said, oh, I will. And he, I think he took 27 books that he said were okay to read as Christians. Anything else had to be burned. And if you possessed any writings that Jesus or his followers had written, and you didn't burn them or didn't bring them to him, and we found them on you, we would burn you at the stake. Oh, so, of course, everybody came and gave it, except for some people who said these are very precious. These were written by Jesus and his followers. We're not going to burn them. So they put them in like potters, pots and they put them in some caves in the Middle East. Oh, okay. Yeah. In 1945, two shepherd boys were grazing their goats and sheep. And their mother had said to them, listen, don't go inside these caves because there's snakes in there and right. you could get bitten. So they were outside the caves. They didn't know what to do. Poor guys, it was hot. They'd taken some stones and they were just throwing them inside the caves. One time they threw the stones inside and they heard the sound of pottery breaking because they had both broken one of the long, tall, six foot long vases in which these documents, papyrus documents were placed. When they heard that, they said, what was that? And they threw more stones, more pottery broke. And then they said, we have to go inside. Maybe there's treasure. Right. So they went inside and they found bundles and bundles and bundles of these papyrus documents that were rolled up. And they excitedly picked them up and ran down to the mother and said, look what we found. Now, they were all written in Aramaic, which nobody could read in 1945, because this was like 2000 years after Christ. Right. And this was the time of the Second World War. So the mother said, maybe this is valuable. She said, take it to Cairo, see if we can sell it. Nobody wanted to buy it. They looked at it. They said, what language is this? We don't even know. Nobody offered her even a dime. Wow. So you know what she did, Lou? What? She used it as firewood. Oh, oh no. R original documents written by Jesus and his followers, she used as firewood. <sighs> but about 80 to 100 documents were left. And by the time the war was over, her brother said, let me try again. And he went and somebody bought them. These were the Dead Sea Scrolls. Dead Sea Scrolls, yeah. And then somebody bought them. And then when the church heard about it in Rome, they said, we want to see it to authenticate it. Because you may say it's what it is, but we don't believe it. Right. The church took it. And until maybe 30 years later, they were investigating this authenticity. In the 70s or so, I don't remember the exact date, the church said, yes, this is authentic. These are from Jesus and his 12 followers. Um, and at that point, then uh, uh, lots of books came out that took this. And one of the books was uh, Elaine Pagel's book, The Gnostic Gospels, the Nag, N-A-G, Hamadi, H-A-M-A-D-I library, and the Nag Hamadi scrolls. You can read them. Mm -hmm. Immediately after that came out was Dan, what's his name? Dan Brown. He wrote a book called Da Vinci Code. Da Vinci Code, yeah. Da Vinci Code. And it was based on these uh, Nag Hammadi scrolls because they felt that the church was hiding what was really true. Right. And so, um, so basically what Athanasius had done was to say, after he burned all of the scrolls except for the ones that were saved, Athanasius said that if you want to get salvation, the only way you go... Now, don't forget, this guy was exiled six times. Right. He was found guilty of mistreatment of minorities. Um, he was found that he wanted to change the religion as it had stood for 300 years. And then he got his way. And he died three years after he put this into effect. But 
its effect has stood till now. And when Jesus was alive and in his Gnostic gospel, so these books were put together. These were the actual writings of Jesus and his followers. Right. And they, they made no discrimination between men and women. You know, Jesus's most ardent follower, one that they accused him of being closest to was Mary, Mary right. Magdalene. Yep. And, and he said, she's a woman, but she can be just like us. There's no difference between man and woman. Athanasius had said, no, women don't belong in the church. Um, Athanasius said, only those people who are my family members can be clergy or right. bishops and, yeah. and cardinals and so on. So he sort of kept it to a very close uh, group around him. And for many years after he died, uh, it was only his close friends and fa family that were part of the church. But the, the part that I wrote was, and they, I found this very fascinating, in that it said, he was not the son of Yahweh, which is uh, Jesus. He was just another avatar, an avatar, you know what it is, right? An avatar, or yeah. a voice of the oversoul sent to teach humans to find the sacred spark within. This was a view that made priests and churches peripheral or irrelevant to salvation. Right. And to attain the salvation, one needed only to turn within. That now, basically cut out the middleman of the church. Right. So yeah. now it sounded more like a commercial business enterprise on the part of Athanasius, very different from what Jesus was saying. Now, I'm not saying this. Yep. We're not saying it. I'm just telling you the difference between what they found in those caves that Jesus and his followers had put aside. And I'm telling you what is being said today. Now, there has been, for those people who know this, many, most Christians don't know this, but for those people who know it, it has produced a dichotomy. Because from early childhood, they've been brought up thinking a certain way, which was Athanasius's decree about the church. And then they find out that that's what, not what Jesus said at all. Right. Jesus has said basically what the Gita is saying. Um, and, and of course, there's a whole other story you, you may want to know at some point. Why did Jesus say these things? And, and what was his connection to the Gita and the Upanishads and so on? But I think we're way, way, way over time on this. Oh, you're going to stop me there? <laughs> it's too long of a story here uh lou how long have we gone already 45 minutes oh no we're only about 28 minutes in okay okay yeah. well you know that for 20 13 years jesus was his his whereabouts are not known right uh, no i wasn't aware of that remember yeah. i'm a failed catholic i i kind of arrived at the same conclusions about the catholic church being a more of a middleman in the enterprise than than spiritual, so I kind of okay, okay, all right. And the wander so, from the Catholic Church. Well, for thirteen years, nobody knew where uh, Jesus was, and at that time, India had the world's greatest universities. There were two of them. One was Nalanda, and one was Tal Takshila, Takshila mm -hmm. and Nalanda. So people from all over the world would go to India to get a higher education, just like now they come to Harvard or Yale or, right. or different places, Oxford, they would go to India and they would study there. Now, what they would study would be a complete all-rounded education. They would study the scriptures, they would study the Gita, they would try to study the Vedas, they would study yoga. Mm -hmm. And so if there are multiple documentaries, friends, if you want to watch, go to the uh, BBC uh, on YouTube and go to the government in, of India uh, and there's like mm, maybe four or five very, very good one-hour documentaries. 
the BBC one maybe titled something like "Was Jesus a Buddhist Monk?" Right. Um, very fascinating. And basically, what it says is that when he was very young, in his early twenties, he decided to go to India. And they have certain documents that they picked up in Tibet and Nepal uh, that they found that talk of this person who came there. And he became a very, very good student. He learned yoga so well and he learned the scriptures so well that he actually became a threat to his teachers who saw him as a foreigner. They saw him as not Indian, not a Brahmin, not one of theirs. And they were the same silly battles that took place over there and they wanted him uh, uh, abolished or right. gotten rid of from the school and because he was a good student he had a lot of uh, support but because he was a foreigner there was some opposition also sure. so apparently some of the priests the brahmins there actually were looking to have him assassinated oh. for whatever reason so he fled from the temples, which were at that time in the middle part of India or South India, and he fled to Kashmir, which is now Kashmir. Kashmir was, it's, a, it's like a whole circle that comes back, Luke. Kashmir and that area was where the Gita was uh, first spoken about. That's where the Saraswati was. Yep. That's where the Gita was fought. That's where Krishna was. It's a very beautiful place. That's where Jesus went. And over there, he started his own little following. And he was very well accepted and he was teaching people. And then he decided to go back home. Yeah. So he trekked back towards the Middle East, came there and he realized that there was such uh, things going on that, you know, he had by this time gotten a tremendous education in yoga and the scriptures. And he started teaching it to his fellow man. And that, then we know all about Christianity, about the sermons on the mount and so right. on. And what he talked about at the time was a lot of what he learned from, I'm telling you what I learned in these documentaries. And at that time, when he was being crucified, being a yogi, you know, so people say, well, how does a person who is crucified die? So that was one of the questions that was asked to us when I was in medical school. And right. we all said, oh, it must be from, from bleeding because, you know, you got big nails yep. put into his uh, arms, hands and feet. And they said, no, you don't bleed that much that to die from it. So we said, oh, maybe from the pain, he had a heart attack. No, what you die from is asphyxiation because you cannot hold your head up on the cross there's no support for your head oh, and yeah. after a while your head falls down and it sort of chokes your uh, uh, yeah. uh, your breathing apparatus and then you can't breathe and you asphyxiate and you die except if you're a master yogi and as a master yogi you can oh. meditate you can keep you can keep breathing you can keep your head up there's lots of things that you know as we've seen in the yogis do uh, so he didn't die because he was a yogi, when they took him down from, he may have fainted, he may have been in coma, or he may have been in a, in a yogic state of mantra. Right. So they took him down from the cross, he was still alive, and his followers knew that. And then when they dug him out, or they took him out of the cave where he, the stone was rolled in front, he then apparently took uh, Miriam and went to Kashmir. And this is the part that Dan Brown talks about in Da Vinci Code. But the documentary talks about proof that he was there. Yeah. They, they have uh, his footprint on a stone uh, with the hole where the nail was. And they have uh, manuscripts written over there that, uh, I forget the name that they called him over there in Sanskrit. Um, but they have the documents that he was there. Uh, 
He stayed there uh, and preached, and he stayed there quite safely until he died. And there's a tomb there that says, this is the tomb of the Savior. Yeah. Um, it's, it's absolutely a fascinating documentary uh, to watch. It is. It's fascinating. This whole thing is a fascinating story, and what makes it so fascinating is it fits so well. I mean, it's, yeah. there's no strain here whatsoever. Right. right. That all makes a lot of sense. So um, we, Lou and I decided, friends, that we were going to call these little episodes where we talk about something that is related to the Gita, but it's just like a field trip. You know, my grandchildren, when they are in school and they, they're learning something, then the teacher says, OK, let's go on a field trip. The field trip is somehow connected to what they're learning in class. Yeah, it augments what we're learning in the verses of the right. Gita. And this was a title that uh, uh, Lou came up with, which I thought was great. It, this is a Gita field trip because we're talking about the Gita. We're talking about Krishna. And what is connected to us in the world is Christianity and Jesus and how he may have been connected to right. this whole thing with Gita, the Greeks, the Scandinavian, all of that is uh, of interest. So, friends, sorry, this was a lot longer than the 20 minutes that we usually try to limit it to. No, it's fine. It was fascinating. I could do more. I could keep going. <laughs> next time. Yeah. Okay. Thank you very much. And we'll see you next episode.